this morning, it might be necessary for you to get a pencil and a piece of paper or a pen, something to write with, something to take some notes. Uh, I want to have a little bit of fun today in the Word and just walk through some Scripture, maybe rather than have the salmon put them up for us, that we would be able to uh, search the Scripture and find them and read them for ourselves. I think there's, I think there's power in that. If I had a thought or a title today, it would be the power of a hilarious attitude. The power of a hilarious attitude. You brush your teeth before you came to church, practice your smile, look to your left, look to your right. Didn't Pastor Ronnie look nice today? Wasn't that not a nice hubba hubba? And you all look so pretty. Let somebody turn and say, you look better today than I've seen you look in a long time. You look better today than I've seen you look in a long time. Hello to all of our Facebook friends for all the thousands of touches that we got this past year. Those are uh, connecting through Facebook. We thank God for that tool of ministry. We pray that something be shared today that will be a blessing and that will be read. First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, the 11th verse. Thine, O Lord, reading from the King James, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all, look at someone say all. Webster's Dictionary says that all simply means all. For thine, for all that is in heaven and in the earth and in the earth is thine, and thine is the kingdom, and Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Next, notice the next verse. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand it is to make great. Look at somebody and say, make great. And to give strength unto all. Look at somebody and say, unto all. Now therefore, O God, we thank thee and praise thy name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thy own have we given thee. What a thought. Be kind of like Christine going to my sock drawer and getting out a pair of socks, if she could find a pair, and wrap it up and give it as a gift to me. That's kind of the thought or the concept that the writer is sharing. What we bring to give to you is already yours. All that I have belongs to God. All that God has belongs to me. And this morning, God has given us permission to go to his sock drawer and take out a pair of socks and give it back to him and be blessed and encouraged and enriched and bragged on for doing that. Just a thought concerning perspective. They ask a blind man to examine an elephant. First of all, he put his arm around the elephant's leg and said, the bark is very rough. Then he reached out and examined the tusk, and he said, the branches are smooth but tough. Then he examined the ear, and he said, the leaves are huge and thick. His perspective, the elephant is one of the world's most unusual trees. 
all in perspective. Again, 29 and 11, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. I don't think there's an adjective that's been left out here to describe God. And the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and all that is in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. This morning for just a few minutes, I would like to reflect on something that many of us do twice a week, but it's something we do every time we come to the house of God. When we come to the house of God, we come with a gift to give to God. Whether it's an hour or 45 minutes of worship, or whether it's an hour or 45 minutes of listening to the word, or whether it's bringing a seed or an offering or a tithe, we come to the house of God to give something to God to honor the glory, do his name. And when I think about giving to God, I think about sowing in the kingdom of God, I'm reminded where 2 Corinthians 9 and 7 says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And in the Greek, that word cheerful means hilarious. God loves givers that are hilarious. God loves people that have a hilarious attitude. God has a sense of humor. Examine the orangutan or the giraffe. I mean, how much thought went into an alligator or a hippopotamus? When you look at the butterfly kingdom or you look at the bug kingdom, I've been sitting in a, I've been sitting in a ground blind. It's an old trailer converted into a ground blind. And for the past morning and evening, I've been watching, and I count them to make sure they're still there. But in one window, there are 11 wasps, and in the other window, there are five wasps. They've not bothered me. I've not bothered them. But just in examining the, the technicality of the wingspan of a wasp and looking at the intricate details, if you were to take up, and I took a scope, and you were to magnify that, just, just a little uh, wasp or yellow jacket, the details that went into that, and you think of the greatness of God and that God owns all that, the perspective that all that we have belongs to God and all that God has belongs to us reminds me. And I, I imagine, I assume that every single parent in this building has one of these stories, and I'm sure my parents have one of these stories. But several years ago, and she was probably four or five years of age, I took Courtney to McDonald's, and we got some fries. And I got something to drink. She got fries and a Coke. And absentmindedly, I just happened to reach over and take one of her fries. She immediately snatched those fries to her bosom and said, those fries are mine. Well, immediately the spirit of slap came upon me. And I made a decision that there was one of two things that I could do. I could either take the fries from her and eat them in front of her, or I could go to the counter and I could buy $100 worth of fries, and I could bury her right there in her seat and just load all the fries on her. And as I'm going reflective, and, I, and as I'm trying to be a parent, trying to be reflective and, and, and be in order, all of a sudden something said to me, they're not your fries either. And I got to think about that. Well, I paid for them. But I paid for them with money God gave me. I earned the money with talent that God gave me. And I, got to, and I got to realizing that my attitude was just as bad as hers. And she was a child, and she had the right to have the attitude because she didn't have any caffeine that day. 
And so when I, re, when, I reflect of, when I reflect of how good God has been to me and how good God has been to us, I reflect on some of the requirements or some of the instruction or some of the reminders that God gives us. In Deuteronomy 8 and 18, God said, don't forget me because I'm the one that gives you power to get well. The ability there to, to connect financially and spiritually and emotionally and mentally and merrily and physically, that, that to be able to connect with the promises and the favor that God has for us, as you look through the word of God, there was a generation that felt that if you were poor, you were spiritual. But when God came, he came to set the captive free. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to, he came to heal the sick, but it also said that he came to preach the gospel to the poor. And so if you preach healing to the sick and they get well, and you preach deliverance to those that are in bondage and they get free, then what happens when you preach to the poor concerning the gospel of Christ? Their finances change, their lifestyle changes, their attitude changes, their perspective changes in every area. John the Beloved, an incredible, phenomenal asset to the kingdom. Many of you know that when everyone abandoned Jesus at the cross, John did not. John stayed right there with his mother and Mary. And to reward him, Jesus extended the life of John beyond any of the disciples. They tried to boil John in oil. He refused to die. They placed him on the Isle of Patmos. He wrote three letters, a gospel, and the book of Revelation. He wrote five books. And in one of his books, in the, in the third book of John, and note, note today that, that Alex, if John wanted to, he could talk about almost every single ingredient of Christ's ministry. He could talk about walking on the water. He witnessed it. He could talk about the, the loaves and the fishes feeding the multitude. He witnessed it. He could talk about Zacchaeus up in the tree, how God changes life. He could talk about raising the dead. He could talk about creation. But John also could talk about prophecy. He wrote the book of Revelation. God gave him that revelation. He could talk about the things that are going to come to pass and all the things that are transpiring. He could have talked about all of that. But when John addressed the body in his third letter, here's what he said. Beloved, I wish above all things, all is all, that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospereth. Of all the things that John could have shared, he could have shared the crucifixion. He could have shared the resurrection, the transformation, the transfiguration. He could have shared all those things. But when he went to address the body, he said, listen, this is the plan that God has for you, that God wants to bless you financially as you continue to grow spiritually. And above all things, I desire that you walk spiritually in the way that God wants you to walk, and you enjoy the blessings and the benefits of being a part of the kingdom of God. If you go with me uh, as quick as you, you can, and I'll race you to see who gets there first. And we're going to go to the book of, I'm not going to tell you which book we're going to go to until I find it, because... That's what preachers do. They cheat. Go with me to the book of Psalms, the 66th chapter, and the 12th verse. When you find it, say, I won. There you have it. We re reward Misty for her. John, Psalm 66, 66 and verse 12. Thou hast caused men 
to ride over our heads, and we went through fire, and we went through water, but thou brought us out, look at someone say out, into a wealthy place. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. Here the psalmist is doing a little bit of history of, of Israel. Most of you know the story that six times they rebelled and had an affair with a, with a foreign god, and, and six times God came and judged them. But this is a season that David and the people of God are walking in prosperity. They're walking in blessing. They're walking in favor. And David begins to reflect on the goodness of God and how God has brought him and where they're at right now. And then David said, I'm going to go to your house and I'm going to worship you with burnt offerings and with sacrifice. When Noah, and what a story, what a, what a story. I'll talk about the Titanic a little later. But when God spoke to Noah about a boat, there was no place to float it. As we know, according to geographically, the, all the continents were connected. It wasn't until the flood that they were divided all the continents were connected. We don't know that there were rivers or lakes or streams. We don't know to what degree they got on the water and played on the water. But when God told Noah to build the boat, there, there weren't any boats. There wasn't anything like what he was building. And as he began to build, 120 years of labor, he builds a boat. And we know the story somehow, and it was miraculously to get the animals in pairs to just simply head towards the ark and, and go up without a cowboy or a rope or a saddle. I mean, when you think about just the animals going on the, on the boat itself, that's unbelievable. And we know their journey was a one-year journey. We know that it rained 40 days and 40 nights, and it took almost 11 months for the water to subside. And when, when, the, when the boat rested, the Bible says the first thing that Noah did was he offered unto God a burnt sacrifice. And again, he's offering to God something that's already God's, but God smells the savor, and it was a sweet savor to the Lord. And when God was touched by the worship of Noah, when God was touched by the offering of Noah, God makes a statement, I will never again destroy the world with water. I'll put a rainbow in the sky to prove to my people, that no matter how dark the clouds get, no matter how stormy, no matter what the light, no matter what's going on, this storm too will pass. It might hinder you, it may hassle you, but it won't take you out. Look at somebody and say, I will not be taken out by the storms of life because my captain walks on water and speaks to storms whenever he wants on my behalf. Now, we could go home right now if we wanted to. When Joshua got ready to do something that he did not want to do, Joshua was a number two man. Joshua was not a sanguine choleric. Joshua was not a born leader. But for 40 years, Joshua had been Moses' armor bearer. And the Bible com compliments Joshua, and it brags on Joshua. And when there was division in the camp, Joshua made a decision, as most of us have made. When, the, when the, the affairs of life, the frustrations of life, and the attack against our life and our ministry and our marriage come to pass, Joshua said this day, you have the right to decide whatever you want to do because God has given you the law of choice. You can do whatever you want to do. But as for me and my house, we have decided that we are going to serve the Lord. And you know the story. There was an earthquake. All the enemies of God that came against the leadership of Moses were devoured by an earthquake. And we know that Joshua would go up in the mountain with, with Moses. He would come back down. But Joshua was not the kind of guy that was really a take charge kind of guy. 
But when time came for God to take the people in the promised land, Moses dies. They can't find him. And God tells Joshua in Joshua 1 and 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there and day and night, that thou may observe it to do according to all that is written therein. Say all. For then thou shalt make the way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. And I think what is so to me, not ironic or, or, or simplistic in this story, but when God gave Joshua the word and told him to meditate on it, all he had was the five books that his mentor had written, a few psalms. He didn't have revelation. He didn't have the gospel of John. He didn't have the promise of the cross or the resurrection power of, of death over life. He didn't have any of that. All he had was what his mentor had given him, and it kind of leads us to believe that if we never had the New Testament, if we never had what we have today through television, books, and all of that, we could have become prosperous just by knowing what the first five books of the Bible say. You're a quiet bunch today. But Deuteronomy, the fourth book that Moses, well, probably the fifth book if you wrote Job first, the, fifth, the fourth book that Moses wrote, in Deuteronomy it says, whatever you do, don't forget me, because I'm the one that put into you the ability to get well. Look at somebody and say, amen. When we, think of, <coughs> when we think of success and we think of prosperity and we look at the definitions based upon the word of God, there are many people, and I'm not, and I'm not really one of those that really spends a lot of time with the affluent and the wealthy. That's really not my, my nature. But there are a lot of people in my life that have a lot of money. And when I hang around them or when I'm around them very long at all, I realize and those, and I have people in my life that don't know the Lord, but I, I have people in my life that have, they have wealth and abundance, yet some of them, not all of them, but some of them are the most unhappiest people I've ever met in my life. And you would think, you would think because they, they have the money to do whatever they want to do that they would be happy. But I believe Paul McCartney said it better than anybody. I don't care too much for money because money can't buy me love. There are things in life that come only from the hand and the heart and the favor of God. It's a divine connection that you know who you are in Christ and you know what he has for you and you are content in that. Paul said, I've ate steak. I've ate ramen. I've been in every steak there is. I've been blessed. I've been favored and I've been struggling. I've been on a budget but I've learned that whatever state I'm in, I'm going to be satisfied because I know that my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. There's a revelation I had this morning. <coughs> or someone else probably already had it, but God never promises to solve all your problems. God never promises to answer all your questions, but God does promise to meet all your needs. Think about that for a minute. He doesn't, he doesn't, he would not explain why you're going through the snare you're going through. And I thought this might be a good time to read this, which Pastor Ron had brought to me this morning. When her baby daughter, Angela, was run over by a tractor, Annie Baylor fell, sank into quicksand of depression. She, cut, she couldn't talk with her friends at church. She drifted apart from her husband. Through counseling, however, they reconciled and were restored to faith. God led them into a ministry of lay counseling to help others in despair, but since this didn't bring in much money, 
Annie supplemented their income by selling baked goods. Her pretzels were always in demand. In fact, you yourself may have eaten one. Auntie Anne's hand-rolled soft pretzels is now a successful company in the United States and overseas. The Couples Counseling Center is thriving as well. Here's what she said. Without the love of my husband and God, I would not be here today. We do know that bad things happen to good people. No, bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. It's the course of life. It's where we're at. We are never immune from tragedy and challenges in life. The Bible does not make us, the Bible does not make us immune from all the hurts and pains. And when you look at Job and you were to ask his wife, how does it feel to have a husband who loves God with all of his heart, does everything right, and yet you had to bury 10 of your children? Ask to the mom that miscarried or ask to the, the one that's going through the, the, the nightmare of recovering from abortion. Ask almost anybody in this building can relate to something bad happening in your life. So you're not immune from that, but you're at a place that wherever you're at, you know that God is going to see you through. And not only is God going to see you through, but God didn't just put you here on earth to be here. God puts you here on earth for a purpose and a reason, and we know that. And when we look at the story of the, the talents, we know that one guy had five talents, and he invested it in the kingdom, and one guy had three talents, and he invested in the kingdom, and the one guy had one talent, and he didn't invest it. He simply buried it, and he hid it, didn't use anything that he had for God and on Judgment Day, and there will be a day when we will stand before God and we will, we will take, be accountable for everything that we've done, said, or in every, every area of life. On, on, that, on that countable day, the one that had gained five, he brought five more and said, here's what I did with the talents and gifts you gave me. The one that had three, he came back with three more, and here's what I did with the talents and gifts you gave me. The one that had one, he said, you know what, I, I knew that you were selfish. I knew that you were jealous. I knew, I know all this about you, and I didn't do anything for you. I just simply hid your talent. Here you have it back. And there was, if you'll read that story, there's a judgment of eternity placed upon him because he refused to be and do what God called him to do. But the two that did what God called them to do, and they, they brought back double for the kingdom. We talked a couple of weeks on double. I cannot believe in that whole 45-minute a dissertation, I forgot to mention to you that Job, going through all the storms that Job went through, and we won't visit there because we spent a lot of time with Job last year, but all the stuff that Job went through, the Bible says that when Job began to pray for his friends, and Job had some pretty lousy friends. His friends were judgmental, they were critical, they were narcissistic, they were ignorant, they were, that means they were dumb they were unteachable. They thought they knew it all. They thought they knew why Job was going through what Job was going through. They didn't have a clue what Job was going through. But when Job forgave them and began to pray for them, the Bible says that God turned things around in Job's life and gave him back double for everything that he had lost in the fire, everything he'd lost in the storm. He is the God of double. Look at somebody and say, he is the God of double. When I think about, and when I think about, you know, every Sunday morning, we have opportunity to bring God's tithe into the storehouse. It's not a suggestion. It's not a thought or a fantasy. It is a commandment. It's what God requires of every single Christian is to bring their tithe into the storehouse. And when I think about 
when I think about tithe, I think about Abraham, who we know was the first tither. We know that he met somebody by the name of Melchizedek. I have my own, I have my own thoughts. Who I think it was Jesus Christ. I believe it. the Bible said he's without father, without mother, without beginning, without end. Obviously a supernatural uh, person. I believe it was the Lord. But we, we find that Abraham, when he went through a great victory, a great blessing, and, and was blessed in prosperity, the Bible says that Abraham gave a tenth of all he had to Melchizedek. Go with me, if you will, and again, it's a race, and the, the object is to beat Misty because she seems to be contending for the prize. If you'll go with me real quick, let me get over there first. Okay, are you ready, Misty? Here we go, Luke 12, verse 15. Please don't buy me a new Bible. I know this one's trash, but I, I don't need a new one. I have 21 Bibles in my library. You got it? Who got it? Who got it for? Did anybody get it for Misty? Oh, so she gets the trip uh, for two to a while, all paid expenses. When we get to heaven, I'll make sure that happens, Misty, okay? <laughs> what did I say, 12 and what? 12 and 15. I didn't even have it. He said to them, they're asking some, some questions, take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. Take heed. I think that a lot of our peers, their, their goal in life is to see how many toys they can collect. And let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with having toys. There's nothing wrong with the bass boat. There's nothing wrong with the pontoon boat. There's nothing wrong with the jet ski. There's nothing wrong with the four-wheeler. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the swimming pool. There's nothing wrong with toys in life. There's nothing. God put those desires in our heart to enjoy those things. But when life becomes a race, and the winner is the one that has the most toys at the very end, we're in trouble. You will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> Several years ago, a very, very wealthy man died, and they placed him in his Rolls Royce. They dug the grave, and they put him and the car in the hole. And one guy looked at another and said, man, what a way to go. John D. Rockefeller literally the richest man in the world at that time, he was determined that when money was, money was sought after in America, one out of every $30 belonged to John, of the, of the nation, belonged to John Rockefeller. That's how wealthy he was. Ten times richer than Bill Gates. When, they, when he died and they buried him, a newspaper reporter asked a question, how much did he leave? The answer, he left it all. He left it all. He took nothing with him. Job said, naked I came into this world, and naked I shall depart. Well, might have a suit and tie, but pretty much you know, you know what I'm saying. We came into this earth with nothing but God's ability and glory and talent that he wants to manifest on us, through us, and to us. And as we begin to pursue the things of God and the things of life, 
You've got to make sure that your race does not consist of who has the most toys at the end. Because if you don't have a right relationship with God, you can have it all and still be miserable. In my, in my ministry of 33 years, in my life of 59, I have learned in life that there are two types of people in life. There are two types of people in, in every walk of life, and they're, they're either givers or they're takers. They're either givers or they're takers. Isaiah 55 and 10, God says that as the snow comes down from heaven, so shall my word prosper. You know the story, but he says this. I am the God that gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. An example would be when the young man went to hear the teaching of Jesus. We don't know how old. We, we, we assume maybe he was 12, 15 years old. He's called, he's called a child, a young man. When he went to hear the teaching of Jesus, he had his lunch. But when opportunity came, he took that which was meant to feed him, and he sowed it in the kingdom and fed the multitude. Remember the story? I think that, I think that there's a lot of times in life, and, and Pastor Ron and I try to be very careful that we, in our, in our budget, in our wisdom, we give what we have budget, we, and sometimes God will impress us to give more. We understand all about that. But there are times in our life, and there are times in my life, and I know that when she was uh, home, Courtney traveled with us for quite a while, then the window came that, that Courtney could not travel, so we, we moved into Rhonda's grandmother's house, and that, that kind of became our base. And I would go out, and she would try to join me. But there were a lot of times when, when I went and uh, came back. And uh, sometimes when I came back, I would tell her, I said, Honey, I said, we're probably going to have to eat a Taco Bell this week instead of Red Lobster because I, I gave away the offering. Uh, and it's not to pat myself on the back, because that hurts every time I do it, because i got a uh, broken wrist, and it hurts to pat myself on the back. But there's not been once, there's not been twice, there's been several times in ministry when the pastor would hand me the, the, check, the envelope that had the check without even looking at it, the Lord would say, give it to the pastor's wife. And so there have been, and, and you know, it's not, it's, again, it's not to pat me on the back, it's all about obedience. It's all about being faithful. And I would come home and I would say, hey, I said, you know, we probably got to eat at Taco Bell this week instead of Red Lobster. Because I probably, I probably gave away too much. I probably shouldn't have given it all away. I probably should have just given part of it away. But you know what? I would rather be all, I would, I would rather give too much than not give. You know, it's like yesterday, um, Angel was, was taking Angel to the woods the day before yesterday. And he said, should I wear... Should I wear this? Should I wear? Should I wear this coat? Should I wear this? And I said, you know what? You can always take clothes off, right? You know, you always have too too many clothes. But if you don't have enough clothes, you're going to be cold. So I would rather stand before God and everybody else, and God say, "Ah, you probably gave away a little bit too much," than Him to say, "Ah, you really didn't give enough." Am I connecting with anybody in this building this morning? I, I think a lot of it has to do about attitude. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, you don't have to turn there, but it says, He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says, The liberal soul shall be made fat. Proverbs 19 and 17, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth to the Lord, and he will repay. 
There are things that we can do in our life that, and, and obviously we're, we're, we're pursuing a goal, and the goal that I'm pursuing is to one day stand before him and hear him say four words. Seven words. <laughs> well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's, I, I, I don't want to, there's nothing else I want to hear. That's, I want to hear him say, you did good with what I gave you. Last week, I shared with you an illustration that I believe changed my life. A hundred years ago, there were ministries that were called coffin ministries. And when the door opened for a missionary to go to one of the far corners of the earth, he knew he probably wasn't coming back. He bought a one-way ticket, bought a coffin, put all this stuff in the coffin, got on a boat and sailed for days, weeks, months to get to his destination. There was a missionary, Emmy Hilney, H-I-L-N-E, that went to a, 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 an area that the villagers were headhunters. And every missionary that had gone to this village had lost their life. You know, sometimes I've, I've felt in ministry that everything I got involved in, I felt like the enemy or whoever tried to hurt me, burn me, wound, wound me, frustrating. And sometimes you just got to have the attitude of, I don't want to go, I don't want to go in that ministry anymore. Can, can anybody, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I got, I got burnt, I got wounded, I got, I don't, I don't want to help that. I don't even want to get in that anymore. But his attitude, he went where he knew that the missionaries had lost their life. Went to this village. God gave him favor. He lived 35 years in this village. And when he died, they buried his coffin in the middle of town and said, when he came, there was only darkness. When he left, there was only light. And so this past week, I've kind of had, I believe I've had the countenance of everyone I've come in contact with, I want to make their moment better. I want to make that hour better. I want to make that, that opportunity better. I want them to feel good after I leave or when I've been around them. I want, to, I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be an encourager. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be critical. And this week, God brought someone to my life that, that had been taken a couple years ago, great friend, great relationship, through a divorce and a series of events. I kind of got estranged from the relationship, but God had begun to heal the relationship. In the past two days, I've done nothing but pour into a family that is receiving the is receiving the counsel, receiving the word, receiving the encouragement. And that's how I want to live my life. I want to live my life that when I, and I don't want this written on my epitaph. I don't want an epitaph. I want to be cremated in my ashes, thrown to, to wherever you want to throw them, and then make it hard on God when he comes back that day to rapture me, get all those particles out of the dust, wherever. But I don't, I don't like, like Rockefeller, when I die, I'm going to take absolutely nothing with me. The only thing I'm going to have is a seed I sowed eternally that's waiting for me in heaven. We've shared the story. Lamar Boschman was a great singer-songwriter. I haven't heard from him in a while, but he was with us. Pastor Ron went and did one of his conferences. And Lamar had a dream, and he dreamed he went to heaven. And the entrance of heaven, to get into the entrance, there wasn't room for his guitar. And Josh, I thought about you. And so he had to make a decision. Do I... Do I stay out here with my guitar, or leave my guitar, and, and go, go into heaven. And so he made the decision. He laid the guitar down, he went inside, and then there was the guitar of guitars waiting on him. So that, that's the mindset that we need to have, that when we get to heaven, we hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And you know, ironically, he tells us why he's saying well done. 
When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And he makes it so easy. He makes it so, he makes it so simple. Help somebody that's hungry. Clothe somebody that doesn't have enough clothes. And be involved in a prison ministry, whether it's a postcard or a letter or making sure they have money for the collect calls or whatever. Just make sure you're touching somebody that's incarcerated. You know what? Of all the things that God could lay on us that we would have to do, like fast 30 out of 40 days, give 90% of our income to the, to the poor, of all the things that God could ask us to do, his, what he asks is so simple and it's so applicable and it's so easy for us to be involved in, little or much or, 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 or great or much, that it's an easy way to get to heaven with reward. Do I have a friend in the building? When we, when we think of wealth and we think of, of money, the Bible talks about three rich men. First of all, we know the rich man that walked past Lazarus every day and, and uh, didn't do anything to feed him. And you know the story, he died and found himself in hell. Then we told the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus for instruction, and we know that Jesus told him to sell what he had. And I, and I share with you in the, in the book of Luke that I believe this rich young ruler did that. Then we hear about the rich man that he was so wealthy that he didn't have barns big enough to contain his wealth. And so instead of taking the excess and giving it to the hungry, instead of taking the excess and giving it to the priest, instead of taking the excess and making a difference in somebody else's life, forgetting that God had blessed him, forgetting that he had the power to get wealth from God, he said, I'm going to tear down these barns I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be married the rest of my life. But that's not the destiny that God has called us to. That's not the purpose and plan. That's not why we're here. God blessed him so he could bless others, and he, did, he failed to do that. And you know what? That day, look at somebody say, that day, when his head hit the pillow, God said to him, you fool. And God's own instruction says, call no man a fool. God has the ability or the right to do that. Sure, he's got the right to do anything. But he looked at him and he said, you fool, I didn't bless you so you could tear down barns and build bigger barns. I didn't bless you so you could be a party animal. I blessed you so that you could make the difference in somebody else's life. And tonight you're going to stand before my judgment and you're not going to hear good words. And we find a young man that was motivated by greed, motivated by wealth, motivated by money. There's nothing evil about money, but the Bible says the love of money is the root of all that's evil. And I, I won't even go there because we don't have time to touch that. What I would like to bring attention to, that when Solomon had a touch from God, God spoke to Solomon and said, hey, I want you to, I want you to ask what you will of me, and I'm going to make it happen. And Solomon obviously asked for wisdom and knowledge, and God said, because you didn't ask for honor, because you didn't ask for wealth, because you didn't ask for riches, I'm going to give you those three things. I'm going to give them to you because you asked for wisdom and understanding. And here's what Solomon said. Lord, don't let me be rich lest I forget you. Don't let me be poor lest I curse you. But there's got to be a balance. There's got to be an area there that you have for me. What you have for me, that's what I want. One of a powerful, powerful truth and powerful powerful story. When I think of the first tithe on Sunday morning, we, on the first day of the week, we bring our gift into the storehouse. When I think of the first tithe, or when I think of Abraham, Abraham didn't just have to be willing to give a tenth of his possessions. 
But God requires something of Abraham that I don't know that he required of anybody else until 2,000 later when he required of himself. God asked Abraham to tithe his first fruit. Just as Abel tithed his first fruit, God asked Abraham to lay his son on the altar and sacrifice him. And people say, that's cannibalistic. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's God, that's this, that's that, that's whatever. No, that was a conversation between God and Abraham. And it's not really any of our business why he did it other to learn from the fact that obedience produces blessing. Obedience. When Lamar was willing to lay down his guitar, he didn't have to give it up. When, when Abraham was willing to lay down Isaac, he didn't have to give him up. But he had to be willing to lay him on the altar and say, it's yours if you want it. If this is what you want of my life, if this is a sacrifice you want me to make, I'll do it. And then you look for confirmation. When I think about God ministering to Abraham, I think about God ministering to us. There's five areas that I, I think are a parallel. And, uh, and I, I feel like the Lord gave this to me for you last night. Uh, I was sitting in a box waiting for a deer to show up. He never did. Uh, somebody's praying against whoever you are. I rebuke you in the name of all that's bow hunting and, and, and dirt scent and all of that. But wa watch this if you will. Watch, watch the parallel. Abraham was really a nobody. As we are in life, people judge us as nobody. Abraham, God spoke to Abraham just as God speaks to us. God called Abraham to a life of obedience just as God calls us to a life of obedience. God tested Abraham. Anybody in the building relate to 2013 concerning tests? Anybody been tested this year? Can anybody relate? God asked Abraham to walk the life of faith. God told us without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He said, you seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And then the, the fifth thought there is that God so honored Abraham's seed, his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, that Abraham is still receiving the blessing of that honor. There's, it, it's the, the, the word said that your children will be the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. God is still honoring Abraham's seed and his trust and his faith in him. Just as I believe and I hope that many of us today will leave a legacy, should the Lord tarry, that would leave a legacy that will affect two or three generations down the road, that people will look back and remember our life or remember the life of our children, the life of our grandchildren, that there will be a legacy there that will be worth mentioning. Three amens and two omis. God's attitude concerning you, Psalm 25 and 37, let them say continuously, the Lord hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God loves it when you're blessed. God's, God just... God, God, God can't stand it. God, every day with God is like Christmas Day. And every day with God, he loves our, our expressions of surprise. When we open that, we unwrap that, and we see that gift, and we're so excited. 
And then we look and see there's another one under the tree. I'll tell you a very, very humorous story. Christine has always, since, since she was two, has always loved to open gifts. And it's not the gift that impresses her. It's the wrapping paper. So every Christmas, without exception, we'll pile her gifts, and then Mom will pile her gifts, and Courtney will pile her gifts. And so Christine will open one, then Courtney will open one. Then Christine will open one, then Courtney will open one. So when all their gifts are, are open and they're looking at all their stuff, Christine will come over and say, you need some help? And so Christine will help me. And you know what? I love it the moment when they rip the thing off and they have no idea what it is. They go, oh, that's great. That's cool. Where's, it? Where's the next one? And I think, I, think a lot of, I think a lot of time God brings us that Barbie doll that we put on our list and we, and we wanted so bad. It was like the kid that wanted the red bicycle. He asked for the bicycle and didn't get the bicycle. He lived, he lived next to a convent. Well, something happened over the weekend that someone stole the statue of Mary. Later that night, the little boy knelt beside his bed and said, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, I think, there are I think there are times, and the girls, will tell, the girls will tell you, and they get mad at me. They get mad at me. But pretty much, nine, am I telling the truth? Pretty much 99% of the time, I can take a package, weigh it, shake it. I can tell you what it is. This last, this last uh, Monday, we celebrated. The girls celebrated Monday because that was my actual birthday. Celebrate, and, they, and they gave me a bag, and I shook it. And what did I say? I said, this is something from Duck Dynasty. And it was the book, the keychain. And then someone, uh, Pastor Connie got me some Duck Dynasty stuff. Do I look like a Duck Dynasty kind of guy? Yeah. <laughs> there you have it. But I, I, think, I think a lot of time we tear into a package and it's exactly what we ordered, exactly what we wanted, and we're happy, we're pleased. And then there are times in our life when we will open something God gave us and we're not real sure about it. We're not real sure how this fits in, how this works, how this is applicable. And sometimes, Hannah, we just kind of set that package back on the shelf or back in the closet. And then three months later, you ever done that? Three months later, you go, you're going through your stuff and go, there's those AA batteries. I've been needing AA. But can anybody relate? The very thing that you needed, you found, and you'd stuck it back somewhere and hid it somewhere. I wish that we were more like the squirrel that had the post-it notes that he put a play. Everywhere he hid his nuts, he, he posted it. I wish sometimes we, we were a little better with the stuff that God gave us because there are times in our life when we're going to need something. And lo and behold, the very thing you need, he gave you a month ago. He gave you a year ago. He gave you a week ago. God always supplies the need. He has pleasure in the prosperity of his children. Uh, the door has opened for me to travel quite a bit, and uh, three stories I want to tell you. I have the privilege and the honor of hunting the largest watermelon grower in the nation, has 10,000 acres in South Georgia, and I have the permission, and he's opened his cabin to me, I have the permission to hunt on his land. And the little bit of time that I have spent with him, a very, very, he's, he's probably about 75 or 80, 
major, major peanuts, major cotton, major watermelon, major strawberries. Uh, one day he came over after we had hunted with log cabin sitting around drinking coffee, and we got to be talking about the watermelon, we talked about the peanuts, and he said, I'll be honest with you. He said, the, um, the watermelons that we grow and the peanuts that we harvest, as far as, not medically, but as far as nutriently, is that a word? Nutrient-wise, they're worthless. There's so much chemical. There's so much stuff to kill the gnats, to kill the bugs, to kill this. The dirt does not rest every seven years. We just grow, sow and grow, sow and grow, sow and grow. That what we are producing is literally, it looks good. You eat it, but it doesn't, it doesn't bless you in any way, shape, or form. And I think there are a lot of times that we see something that looks good, and it's pleasant to look at, and we sow into it, but it really brings us absolutely no value whatsoever. And I'm not, I've, I have never done it. I've been to Las Vegas several times. I've never had the desire to put money in a slot machine and pull it. That's never been my, that's never, that's never been my bag. It's never my, been my bag to play Keno. I have never one time paid the, played the lottery. That's just not my, but there, there are people in my life that God told them to buy a ticket, and they bought it, and they won. How do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? God, God, God will use, if God will use Rahab the harlot to hide his, 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 his spies, if God will take the wealth of the wicked and give the righteous, God's, God, if God will give money to Oral Roberts for, for that building from a racetrack owner, I mean, I mean, God's unlimited. God can do literally whatever he wants to do. That kind of worried me that we are eating, eating, eating stuff that's poisoned. And it's chemically enhanced. But then the word says, Thou shalt eat any deadly thing, and it shall not hurt them. As I believe that when we sow in the kingdom of God, we have the right to ask for divine health. And say, God, this, this nation might be getting heart attacks, they might be getting cancer, they might be getting lupus, they might be getting this, they might be getting that. But because I sow in the kingdom, I would like to be immune from those things. Is that okay to pray that? The, um, I went to preach for the Full Gospel Businessmen in Indiana, and uh, the largest cucumber grower for Del Monte picked me up. It was quite a, it was quite a drive, two or three hours to the, the conference hall where we spoke. Had a great time visiting with him. But he taught me the, the power of stress upon a plant. He said that when they get ready, when the, when the cucumber vine gets ready to produce its, its bud so it can, have, it can have fruit, have a vegetable, we purposely stress the cucumber we don't water it. So the, cu the cucumber root looks for the moisture from within, and in the time of stress, instead of producing one bud, it produces two or three. Now, who would have thought that? How many times financially have we simply been slapped in trouble, did not have enough to do what we needed to do? It was a stressful time. Can anybody relate? And we had to make a decision. We made a decision a few months ago concerning our tithe or our, or our electric bill. And, and we, 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 we were obedient, thinking that we're going to lose our saltwater aquarium and all of our ice cream is going to melt. Well, I could solve the ice cream problem. I could probably bring saltwater fish to somebody else, but that's how, that's how close our budget got. And you know, not, not once, not twice, but dozens of times God has turned things around because we were faithful in the little, I'll make you a ruler over much. He is the God of multiplication. This same grower told me, 
He said, if you'll take, Indiana is known for its, its uh, corn crop. He said, if you'll take one kernel of corn and you'll place it at the right depth in the right dirt and give the right fertilizer and the right water, one kernel of corn will produce 8,000 kernels in return. Can I impress anybody? One kernel of corn. He's not the God of division. He's not the God of addition. He's not the God of subtraction. He's a God of multiplication. He's a God that multiplies that which we touch <coughs> and that which he is blessed. Luke 6 and 38, I want to show you five levels of blessing. Give and it shall be given. There's the first blessing. Get it back. Good measure. That's plenty. Press down. How many ever pressed something down to get more in the container? Anybody? Usually it's the trash. You know, you set your foot in there and you push it down so you get more trash. But sometimes you'll take, the, you'll take the sugar bowl and you'll shake it to make room for more sugar. Can anybody relate? And then it says, running over, five levels of blessings are attached to us sowing something without prejudice. Sowing something without prejudice is the attitude of we're not giving to get. Hello? But the Bible said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Two reasons. It puts a smile on somebody else's face. And, and secondly, it opens the door for God to open a window to pour a blessing upon us. I love nature. I love um, Minnesota, Alaska. I saw the northern lights of Alaska. They claim that in North Africa, and I spent 20 days in North Africa, they claim that as the earth rotates, that you see stars in North Africa that you don't see in America. And I thought that was so cool. I thought that was so, that was so, and you know, I forgot, I forgot why I was telling you about the stars. Help me, anybody. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, the Bible says, go to page five. Malachi 3 and 10. God makes a statement about our nation. I'll remember the star story in a minute. There was a reason why. Oh, thank you, Lord. Holy Ghost. He gives me the power to remember stuff that I forget. But I'll never forget you, Linda. I mean, Betty. I mean, <laughs> in nature, God shows us our gift to Him. It's called the Little Dipper. In nature, God shows His gift to us. It's called the Big Dipper. And isn't this crazy that the Big Dipper makes up? Ten little dippers? Is that a tenth? Is that, is that crazy? That ten little dippers will fit in one big dipper? Isn't it crazy the little dipper has a handle extended towards heaven like our gift to God? And the big dipper is turned upside down showing God's gift to us? Does that, does that bless anybody? They know that you can't outgive God no matter how you try? When, when God addresses the tithe and the offering, he addresses it right at the very last book of the Old Testament where he promises revival, he promises the wealth of the wicked given to the righteous. And God begins to address tithe and offering. And God begins to talk about an entire nation that is cursed because of the actions of that nation. And I just want to bring some, and I'm, I'm almost done. What time is it? Oh, I'm done. Okay. We'll share this uh, We'll share this next week. Not unless you guys just really want me to go ahead and finish it now. 
How many, how many, how many, how many, next week? We'll do it next week. Okay, we'll do it next week. Let's pray. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the promises in your word. We thank you that we're not immune from, from our children getting run over by a tractor. We're not immune by a mall shooting. We're not immune by disease or sickness. We're not immune by any of that. That stuff happens to some, some of us, many of us. We're all tested. We all live this life that this earth was cursed with thorns. But you redeemed us from the curse and you redeemed our life from the curse. And we've learned that as we give to you what is already yours, you, you appreciate our sincerity, you appreciate our generosity, you're faithful to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your consistency. And like the widow whose handful of oil and little container of oil and milk contained her for three and a half years, we thank you for the little things. We ignore the book written, don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. We recognize the little things. We recognize the little things you do just to enhance our day or bless our day or just remind us that you are watching over us. Let our life be blessed this week. Let good things happen. Build a hedge of protection around us. Protect us from the dentist. Protect us from the IRS. Protect us from fender benders. Do not allow our gas tank to be empty. Do not allow our food to mold. But bless, put an extended blessing on that which you have given us because of our faithfulness to you. In the name of Jesus, and the all set. Amen.